Kids going out so they can listen to Kraftwerk with the kids? No. Yeah, that's hokey cokey. <laughs> thank you, everyone. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, worship team. That was just great. Oh, as you listen to me, just try and remember all the songs that we sang because they all they all count to what I'm saying. I need five volunteers, please, please, people. Uh, you just. There needs to be genuine volunteers. I can't actually pick these volunteers. Rich, can you turn the preach lights down just a little bit, please? They're blinding me a little bit. Thank you. Uh, I need five volunteers. You're going to stand up where you are, answer a very simple question. Think about it. Answer a very simple question and sit back down again. It's not going to be embarrassing at all. I give you my word on this one. I appreciate it. I often say that, and it's often not true. But in this case, it is genuinely not true. I just need five volunteers to stand up, answer a question, sit back down again. One, two, three, four, five, sorry, six. Right. This is a really, really simple question, but it does also cut very much to the kind of person you are. It says a lot about the kind of person you are. It's a really simple one. It's a question concerning delayed gratification. So... I'm being genuine. I've brought this with me on purpose. If I were to offer you a pound right now, a pound this morning, or two pounds next week, which would you choose? It's a real philosophical question. It really is. You'd have to you'd have to trust that for a start. If you'd have to trust, I'd give you it, but. This week, you'd have to trust. But I've got one, two, three, four, five pounds with me, so I brought the money. You'd have to trust I'll be here next week. Do you know what? That's, that's line four. To be honest with you. You'd have to trust that I wouldn't run away from my debts or that I wouldn't drop dead by before next week, which with some of us... You'd have to trust that I, meant, I mean what I say. You'd have to trust I'm not kidding. You'd have to trust that... Somebody quite rightly said that I'd remember to fetch the money next week. Because I've got to be honest with you, I almost invariably don't fetch money to church. It's really rare I fetch money to church. I had to go out of my way to remember to, uh, to pick this up today. You'd have to trust that I'm good for it. You'd have to trust I'd be able to afford it. Fundamentally, you'd have to trust me. So... Taking this in no particular order, but from this side to that side. Neon, would you like a pound this week or two pounds next week? Yeah, it's an either-or question. Try and join in with me. Pound this week or two pounds next week? Don't look at him. I'm asking you, not him. Pick one. Bingo, two pounds next week. Thank you very much. No, you won't. Mike, pound this week, two pounds next week? Sit down. <laughs> Lawrence. It only took me three or four seconds. Is that Lawrence? Pardon? Morrison's. Pound this week, two pound next week? This is going to be a <laughs> properly, hasn't it? I honestly thought someone would say a pound this week. <clears throat> Come on, mate. Do me a favour. I don't want any. I just want to do volunteer. Uh, no, no. You've, you've got to answer. Pound, it really matters. Pound this week or two pound next week? Thank you. <laughs> Same question. Pound this week or two pound next week? I just 
More fool you. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm just going to put those there, otherwise all you'll hear is me doing this all the way through. Joe, if there's any chance you can remind me of that next week, that'd be really good. <laughs> You see, you see, you get the impression that when I ask for volunteers, it's always something terrible and something bad. But it's not always, is it? My volunteers don't always get the blunt end of the stick. Sometimes they get the good stuff as well. Rarely, that's true, last time. Um, today we're going to briefly look at two quite long passages, actually. Um, two passages which are... A fairly regularly taught, I think. Fairly, we, I think I've preached from both of these probably more than once, and we've heard and preached here reg, fairly regularly, but not together. But not together, which I think is a bit of a shame, since they do actually come right next to each other in the Bible. Uh, I'm going to read you a big lump. I'm going to read out of Matthew. If you've got um, Paper Bibles or electronic, I'm in Matthew 19, back end of Matthew 19. And I'm going to read right across the chapter break into Matthew 20. So Matthew 19, 19. In my Bible, this is head of the rich young man. Now a man came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what must I do? What good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what's good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which one? Ones, the man inquired. Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honour your father and mother and love your neighbour as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? This is in Matthew, in the Mark version of this, this is the point where it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. What do I still like? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus returned to the disciples and said, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, mostly because then, as now, people tend to think rich people are the blessed ones and poor people are the unblessed ones. The disciples were greatly astonished. They asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible, just like we were singing earlier. With God, all things are possible. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or fields for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. 
About the third hour he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever's right. So they went. And he went out again about the sixth hour, midday. And about the ninth hour, three o'clock in the afternoon. And he did the same thing at about eleventh hour, five o'clock in the afternoon. He went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? And because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. And when the evening came, about six o'clock, when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and then going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first, so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men, quote, these men who were hired last only worked one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, am I being unfair to you? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired the last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Are you envious because I am generous? So the first will be last and the last will be first. Lord, this morning, as I'm trying to bring what I believe is your heart, Lord, give us open, receptive ears. Lord, give us ears to hear what you have to say. Lord, let your word fall into our ears, into our hearts, and produce the harvest you desire. Let my words just fall away and blow away like chaff. Amen. In today's reading, I think context is everything. Context is absolutely everything. Where and when are we reading this from? Jesus and the lads are out and about towards the end of Jesus' teaching. This is, this is back end of Jesus' life stuff. This is not towards the start, this is back end. Lazarus has just been raised. They've just, a lot of them have just seen Lazarus run out of the grave. When you sing that, I ran out of the grave, they've seen Lazarus raised from the dead. They've seen Jesus feed 5,000 men, 4,000 men, in two separate occasions, two separate feeding miracles. Whenever I read that, it feeds 5,000 men. It does make me wonder if he didn't need to feed the women and children because the women have got enough sense to bring the sandwiches. No, no, no we brought the sandwiches. So Jesus and the gang are slowly heading towards Jerusalem. They're making their way towards Jerusalem for what's going to be the final time. And Jesus knows it's the final time. And just after this, he reminds them again, we're going to Jerusalem and that's going to be it. I'm there, I'm going to die. And they still don't get it. But Jesus is knowing they're going to Jerusalem for his death. He's knowing this is, we're in, we're in these are the last things I'm going to be saying to you, times. I think it's the, this time, even more than the previous three years, what Jesus is saying to them is important and prescient. It's really important. And it's stuff the disciples need to hear right then, right now. So who's the rich man? Again, the rich man is a real person. That's, sometimes we, we, we read the Bible, we read the stories in the Bible, and, and some, there are some parables, like the, the 
workers in the vineyard is a parable. It's, a, it's not a real thing. A rich young man is a real person. We actually read of this encounter you know, in the first three Gospels, in both Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And from the three descriptions, we can build up like a, a cameo portrait of him. So Matthew, as I read, calls him a young man of great wealth. A young man of great wealth. Mark tells us, also tells us he has great wealth. But he's desperate. In the Mark version of this story, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. He's desperate. In Luke, in Luke 18, we read again of his great wealth. But Luke adds the description, a certain ruler does this. So, so from those three Gospels, we, we, we grasp that, that he's a rich, young ruler. In all three of the Gospel descriptions, he describes his own piety. This, I've done all this since I was a kid. I've followed God since I was a kid. A rich, young, devout ruler. But we also get that he's desperate and discontented and worried. And sometimes we, we look at people who are rich, young, devout rulers and everything seems to be grand with their life and we think they've got, they're brilliant, they've got a real bead on it. But we don't see what's happening inside. We don't see what's happening inside. I, Paul, I, I, I hadn't picked up on it, I hadn't read any news this morning, I hadn't picked up on um, Caroline Flack taking her own life. But when you see people on the, on, the, on the telly or listen to them on the radio and you see, you think they've, they've got their lives all together, we just don't know. And when we look at our friends and think, well, they're a lumberjack in Canada. Why on earth would I want to tell them the gospel? Because they've got, they're living the dream. We don't know what hollowness they've got in their lives. And we see our friends at work. I've got, I've got loads of friends at work who seem to have a great life. They seem to have the, the ducks in a row and everything. I don't get me wrong, I've got some friends at work whose lives are in the toilet, but I've got friends at work who's, who've got great lives, who've got lives that if I didn't know better, I'd be envious of. Like the rich young man. People would have looked at him, rich, young, devout ruler, and would have been envious of him, and yet, inside, he knew there was something missing. He knew there was a, what we sometimes talk about, a God-shaped hole in his life that nothing would fill that no riches no piety no rule no none of that would fill a parable ten, ten times ten times Jesus uses the phrase the kingdom of heaven is like ten times all in Matthew all in Matthew 13.24, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. 13.31, like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in the field. 13.33, like yeast in, mixed into a large amount of flour. 13.44, like treasure hidden in a field. 45, like a merchant looking for fine pearls. 47, this is one of my favourites. The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into a lake and caught all kinds of fish. I love that. I love that. I read it again this morning when I was reading my notes and thought, oh, what, just the, what does that mean? What are the implications of that? The kingdom of heaven is like a man who let a net down and caught all kinds of people. The church is for all kinds of people. They didn't just catch cod. It's not a, is the word mono catch? 
And when fishermen go out looking for something, and they, they make the, the holes in the net a certain size so they, so they can only catch cod and all the little things whistle through. Kingdom of Heaven isn't like that. Kingdom of Heaven is everybody. All kinds of fish. All different kinds of people. And we need to remember that. We, we, when, we when we, sometimes we look at other churches and think, mm, I'm not entirely sure. Do you know what? Kingdom of Heaven is all kinds of fish. Kingdom of Heaven is St. George's. God bless them. They're not like me, but God loves them and they're in the kingdom. Kingdom of God is like Royston and Bethel. They're not like me, but God loves them. They love the Lord and they're in the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven, I'm going to just skate out onto thin ice now. Catholic Church. Some of them. I tell you what, they're not like me. Unless I, I could have said hi, Anglican, I would have been no. Current crop. They're not like me, they're different fish. But do you know what? Kingdom of heaven, they're in the net. God bless them, they love the Lord. Sorry, that came this morning. Kingdom of heaven is like a king who wants to settle accounts. Kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. Kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. And in 1352, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of the storeroom new treasures as well as old. When, when people stand here, when we stand here and preach to you, that's what we're trying to do. Please forgive us when, if we tend to say the same thing. I say almost exactly the same thing every time I stand here. I just use different words and different pictures. Paul says, bear in love, their house. The same thing every time he stands here. He just uses different words and different pictures. Yeah. Joe is better than me and Paul because I was calling. And they, they've got like half a dozen things. But fundamentally, and do you know what? Love and grace. Just that. Fundamentally. But we do that because we're following our, father's, our master's footsteps. We're following Jesus' examples, trying for new treasure as well as old. You nearly missed the page there. What do we see? A rich young ruler, desperate, discontented, and worried. And Jesus says to him the same thing he says to everyone. Fundamentally, he says to, to the rich young ruler the same thing he says to everybody. Leave that thing which you would put before me. And in the rich young ruler's case, it's rich. It's riches. And, he, and then the rich young ruler proves, he proves Jesus is right by not leaving those riches. By saying, oh, I'm sorry, the, the thing I would put before you is, is the thing I want to keep. And Jesus says that to every single person he meets. Leave that thing that you would put before me. When he meets a couple of young entrepreneurs at the start of his ministry, a couple of lads working for themselves, they've got a job, fairly good job, consistent job, they've got a product that keeps swimming up to them, and they've got people that keep coming and buying the fish. And he says to them, this is from Matthew 4, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men at once. They left their nets and followed him. Jesus knows that there's always something 
that would stop us from following him. There's always something in all our lives. And he says to us, leave that thing that you would put before me. And he says it to the rich young man. With the rich young man, it was wealth. Jesus has already spoken earlier on in Matthew about the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. I think the rich young man has maybe started to realize with all he's got, it isn't enough. That his riches and his piety and his rule won't mean anything when the final trumpet is sounded. In fact, Jesus underlines it in the reading I read where he says, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's hard. Which is unbelievably bad news for somebody like me. There's a, a website, I can't, I can't remember which um, charity does, the Global Rich List. And you can put in how much you make a year. I put in mine, I'm in the top three-quarter percent of the world's income. Top three-quarter percent, that's 92.75. Top three-quarter percent of, the, of all the people in the world, I'm in the top three-quarter percent, and I don't get paid that much. If you need to know, £1,020 per year is the middle. If you make more than £1,020 per year, you're doing better than half the world. Some of you made a pound today. Some of you are going to make two pounds. Unfortunately, the list doesn't go low enough for me to tell you just how high you would have been in the list. But fortunately, Jesus says, all things are possible. All things are possible. Thank you, Lord, those words are in the Bible. Thank you, Lord. He didn't, he didn't just stop. Yeah, it's, our, it's a British man, I have a needle. Let's talk about something else. <gasps> Thank the Lord he didn't do that. Thank the Lord he went, rich man, I have an needle. But with God all things are possible. <gasps> Thank you, Lord. And then this rich man can come in. I'm not going to underline how rich we are. But 1,020 a year. You're better off than half the people in the world. So the rich man is desperate. He's just not that desperate, which is a crying shame. It wasn't until I was, until I was prepping for this for today that, that I actually realized that the, the workers in the vineyard is that direct response. It's the response to Peter's question. When we, we, we read it, we preach from it, but, don't, but without dropping it into context, it's a response to Peter's question. He's talking to... Peter, he's answering Peter and the disciples. He's not particularly talking to the crowd. He's talking to people like you and me, people who have already followed him. Peter asked, Peter asked him, we've left everything to follow you. Jesus, but Jesus has already said in Luke 14, Jesus has already said, anyone who doesn't take up his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Any of you who don't give up everything to follow me cannot be my disciple. You can't help but feel that anyone still following him gets what they deserve. I'd also quite, quite grasped in the workers in the vineyard 
which is actually much better described as the parable of the good employer. The difference between the first and the last workers, what now we'd say because of contracts of employment. See, the first workers, a landowner went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius a day. And later on he says to them, it's the same workers, didn't you agree to work for a denarius? There's a certain amount of, it's, it's, almost, it's almost like he went out and they had a discussion about how much they were going to get paid. Whereas the last ones, the five o'clockers, he just says to them, do you know what, go and work in the vineyard. There's no discussion about what they're getting. And the first lot are aggrieved at the outcome. <laughs> and do you know what, they're right to be aggrieved. They're right to be agreed. If, you're, if you work for a company, oh, I tell you what, let's pause that and just get properly <laughs> political now. If you work for a company and have, for example, ovaries, and somebody works in your office that has, for example, not ovaries, let's not get any more medical than that, and you do the same thing and they're paid more than you, that's fundamentally wrong. It's just wrong. And it was wrong that the ones who worked all day, they were right to be aggrieved. They also unionized it and served them right. If you're not in a union, tough. They'd agreed at the start of the day, and a denarius seems like a good, a good rate. Seems like a good working rate. They could have said, Pay us what you think we're worth and risked it. Do you know what? We're good workers. Pay us what you think we're worth. Absolutely. And risked it. Or they could have... I can't remember who said this. I don't, so one of these supermodels, I don't get out of bed for less than 10,000 a day. They could have said, I'm sorry, mate. Working in the vineyard, I don't get out of bed for less than two denarii a day. But they didn't. They got what they expected. They went in with their eyes open. And Jesus' listeners would have known the last, the last lot, the five o'clockers. Rach, just turn me down a second while blowing my nose with you, please. Thank you. The five o'clockers, the people listening, the disciples would have known just what the, what the five o'clock crowd were like. With the best will in the world, they hadn't been there all day. Have you been here all day? Oh, have you been here all day? And they were like, yeah, yeah, I've been here all day. The five o'clockers, no, the no one hired us, they're the slackers. They're the idlers. They're the work shy. They're the ones whose last night are still affecting them this morning. They're the fundamentally undeserving. Or possibly they were just the old or the slow. Or the disabled. Or those who lived chaotic lives. The troublemakers, the unclean, the people who people don't pick. And this parable about the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is specifically saying all of those people are involved as well. That net I was talking about earlier catches those people as well. The parable of the... Um, King of banquet for his son, wedding banquet for his son, says all that as well. All those people, all the people that that don't fit, all the people that can't make it, all the people that just 
aren't right. This parable says they're in as well. They're in the kingdom of heaven as well. Thank the Lord. They're in the kingdom of heaven as well. Everybody. The gospel is for everybody. The gospel works for everybody. The gospel is true for everybody. Rich, poor, young, old, ill, well, male, female, Greek, Greek slave, Greek slave, Greek slave, Jew, everybody. The gospel is for everybody. And that's one of the things that this parable is telling us. I don't think it's a coincidence these two passages are concurrent. The crowd have just heard Jesus say, give it up and follow me. Do you know what? That stuff, give it up and follow me. The stuff you worry about, stuff you, give it up and follow me. And there must be some of them thinking, hey, hey, easy street. Because I don't have anything. That's easy to give up. I can just come and follow him and, and then I'll get, then it'll be great. It'll be a life of Riley. I'm just tonking him out, doing nothing. And then Jesus says, but the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. To work in the vineyard. Not to sunbathe in the vineyard. When I used to, I used to work for a living, when I was working on shifts, we used to get all the work done early on and then go and sunbathe in the afternoon. It was great. Even, even in winter we could go and sunbathe because it was there were kilns. We used to go and to lie down, lie out on the top of the top of the dryers where it was like sixty degrees. Some of this. That's not the kingdom of heaven vineyard work. Kingdom of heaven is work. Jesus says the kingdom that you disciples want to get to, that the rich young man wants to get into, is a kingdom of workers. Is it now that I said? Remind me to uh, talk about this church being a church of workers. Bingo. Sarah reminded us, do you know what? There are jobs that need doing in this place. This is a church full of workers. There are jobs that need doing. The new hospitality team need more workers. If you're not doing anything, please go and see, go and see Joan. Joan will talk to you about it. Jesus wanted, oh, wants us to put him first in our lives. And, and that can that sometimes, even as somebody that's been a Christian for a long time, was leading this church, when we hear it, it, it sounds odd. Jesus wants me to put him before Joe in my life. Jesus wants me to put him before Ian and Catherine, my children, in my life. Jesus wants, him to put, wants me to put him before my mother, who I promised I wouldn't talk about, so I can't tell you. But he's, he's really high in my life at the moment. And, it sound, and to ears that don't understand, it sounds a bit, oh, hang on a minute. He wants you to put him before you, somebody who means absolutely everything to you. Who means everything to me. How can he ask that? And the answer is very simple, when I do. When I put Jesus first in my life, then what Joe gets from me is so much better, so much more, so much everything than what she would get without him in my life. If I put Jesus before my children, before my family, before my work, before my stuff, then all that stuff gets so much better of me 
than they would get if Jesus wasn't first in my life. Do you understand that? When we put Jesus first in our life, everything else gets the best of us, gets the better of us. And when we put them first in our, first in our life and Jesus second, they don't get the best of us. They don't get the best we can be. And Jesus in this, talking to the rich young man, is saying, I need you first. I need you first. I need you to be your first call. I need the stuff that would come in between you and me to simply not be there until later. And that which is why when Jesus talks after the camel and the eye of a needle bit, and he says, all that stuff you've given up, there'll be more. It'll be better. It'll be bigger and more and better and greater. You're not giving it up to lose it so that you never see it again. You're giving it up to me, making me first, because then you'll be better at it. Then you'll be better in it. Then it'll, they'll get the best of you. Seek first the kingdom of seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. This passage is teaching Jesus teaching on grace again. Again. Jesus teaching on grace. I'm just going to cross a big bit of that out. Do you know, a friend of mine. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine a while ago who helps run a church, not this one. And, uh, and he was driving home from church one morning after doing loads of stuff at it. He was like, he'd done loads of stuff. And uh, he was grumbling to God on the way home, chuntering to God, I've done this and I've done that and I've done that. And, and do you know what? I'm getting tired of doing that for those people. And he said to me, I heard God the clearest I have ever heard him as I was driving home that day. And God said to him, who are you doing it for? He suddenly wept, wept in the car driving home because God had reminded him, the, the stuff we do here, the stuff I do here, I love you all. I properly do. There is nobody in this room I don't love. There's nobody in this room I don't like. But with the best will know that I do not do this for you. Nobody stands on this stage. I know all the people that stand on this stage quite well. They don't do it for you. That you get blessed from it is wonderful and brilliant and fantastic. But if you weren't here, they'd still do it. Because they do it for God. Because they do it for God. They work for the Lord. How do we end this? We realize that we are, are rich in so many ways. But we need to work out if we're letting those riches, those things we have, come before him in our lives. And if they are, we need to say, Lord, these are yours. Do with this stuff what you will and make me better at doing it. We need to realize we are all workers Bob Dylan wrote, you've got to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the law, but you've got to serve somebody. We all serve somebody. We need to decide if, if it's for him or for me. By and large, that's it. We either work for ourselves or we work for him. And we need to decide what we will do with our riches and for whom we'll work.
Somebody very wise said a while ago, the plans of God require cooperation and participation. Can you guess who said that? The rich young rulers, desperate but not that desperate to follow Jesus. Are we desperate? Ban, can you come back please? At the start, I offered you a pound or two pound, pound today or two pound next week. What if I'd have said five pounds today or six pounds next week? If you'd have been one of those people that stood up, think just slightly worried that I was going to do something horrible to them, five pounds this week or six pounds next week, what would you choose? What if it was five pounds this week or ten pounds next week? What if it was £100 next week? Or £1,000 next week? How, for how much would you be willing to wait? For how much would you be willing to wait? For how much would you be willing to give up that today for another day? Delayed gratification. What if it were all the riches of God? And God was saying, that thing that's getting in between me and you today, give it up. Because tomorrow, you'd have to trust that he'd be here next week. You'd have to trust that God would be here. You'd have to trust that he means what he says, that he's not kidding. That the stuff I read, anyone who gives up this will get more. You'd have to trust that he wasn't kidding. You'd have to trust that he'd remember what he said. You'd have to trust that he'd remember. And you'd have to trust that he'd be good for it, that he could afford it. Fundamentally, you'd have to trust him. But we started, we started the day with Waymaker. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. Light in the darkness, waymaker. You'd have to trust the one we were singing about. This is who you are. In your hearts, you'd have to trust what your mouth had just been singing. I'm going to end with Jesus' own words, this time from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, things, stuff, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. A rich young man had treasure, and there was his heart. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. No one can serve two masters. He'll either hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and stuff. Remember the purpose of the workers in the vineyard is to underline again how generous a God we have if only we choose to serve him. This morning choose to serve him. This morning, choose to believe those words that we sang at the start. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. Choose to believe that he is all those things, that he can do all those things. I'm done. Thank you, Ben.